Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Axis Entertainment, and your host for Media Mavens podcast. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Marjorie DeHay at NTech Law. Hi, Marjorie. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Adam. Hello. So excited to have you on the show, Adam. We got Adam Reimer, who's the chief executive officer at Envy Gaming. And you guys have been blowing it up in the gaming, the esports industry lately. And I know that because we have way too many people in common. And I do stalk you on LinkedIn. (laughs) But it's just so good. I want to talk about gaming with you in esports because there's so much going on coming out of COVID, especially this pandemic, it just blew up the gaming industry. There's Mm -hmm. nothing else to do at home. And I don't want to focus on the pandemic, but it's just, it's amazing seeing how the industry has evolved in the past two years alone compared to like the past eight years. So give us a bit of what's going on at Envy. I know you guys are out of Dallas, but tell me about Envy. Yeah, for sure. So, so I've been here as CEO for the last two years. We are one of the biggest gaming and esports organizations in the world made up of both Envy Gaming and Optic Gaming, both of which have been around for 10 plus years. And we operate a number of professional esports teams that play in a bunch of different games. So we employ a bunch of individuals that play these games professionally and on the biggest stages in the world, both here and abroad. And then we also work with a number of content creators that live stream on Twitch and create YouTube content and other programming and interact with our fans and really play into the, the whole gaming universe. Has your whole background in gaming? It hasn't been. You know, I'm, I'm a reformed management consultant. I know you ran USA Volleyball. I did. I did. That was a volunteer role for about six years that I did while I was working in the film business for a long time. So my pathway to here has been kind of crazy. After leaving consulting, I ended up in the music business at the epicenter of when Napster happened. So I showed up in New York City to Universal Music. And I think three months after I got there, Napster kind of blew up onto the scene. And I was, from that point on, I think the rest of my career has been kind of just at that intersection of technological changes to the entertainment business. So followed that as the music industry rode its waves up and down, entered the film business, and spent a lot of time in film helping Universal try to solve some of the problems that the music industry faced before it had those problems, right? So we did some of the first deals with iTunes and Netflix and helped create Hulu and, you know, created some of the first YouTube programming when YouTube was just a little tiny company that nobody really understood what to do with. And it was playing in a... You remember where YouTube was only a little square box? I (laughs) have. That was the size of like two postage stamps put together because that's all the bandwidth could handle. And then uh, became a film producer not at all what I ever expected to do. Made movies for about four or five years and then uh, went over to Legendary Entertainment. And at Legendary was where I really kind of made the move into what I'm doing now. So at, at Legendary, I was in charge of our digital businesses, which included Nerdist and Geek and & Sundry and Amy Poehler's Smart Girls. And these were channels that were really the, the beginnings of what I'll call community-based entertainment. They were branded channels on YouTube. And they were the first ones that really were interacting with their fans through social media, producing video content, writing articles, having live events. And we produced one of the biggest Twitch channels 
in the world for a long time, which is where we really started to learn about live streaming and interactive content and new forms of entertainment that wasn't the traditional kind of hire a bunch of writers, develop a show for a year, get a pilot made, get it on the air, and hopefully it lasts for a few seasons and you go into syndication. This was just, you know, a soundstage with black magic cameras and live streaming for six, seven hours a day and getting subscribers and and seeing where it goes and never knowing quite what you were going to get on a day-to-day basis. But we really learned a lot. And after I left Legendary, tried to help a few other companies get started before getting the call to come here to Envy. And what I saw here when I joined was, was that gaming is... It's not just about competing in esports. You know, Gaming is now a lifestyle. It is a entertainment business. We are creating new forms of programming, new forms of content. And it's a natural interactive medium where we can play games with our fans. We can interact with our fans at the live events. We can communicate with them on these two-way platforms like Twitter and YouTube, where there's back and forth that exists. And it's such a different landscape from what every traditional entertainment business has been before, which is really just a one-way communication path. Wait, so how did you, I mean, you went from filmmaking, I mean, yeah. to was, was that inspiration just because in films and in gaming, it's all about creating content to entertain people? Was that the common thread for you? Getting into making films was was kind of a, a, a real interesting segue for me. It wasn't any, like I said, it wasn't anything I ever expected to do. It was most of my career in entertainment has always been on the business side of the industry. And I had an opportunity after I left Universal to help start a film production company. And for me, it was it was learning. For me, it was about learning how entertainment product actually gets made, right? From start to finish. Because I think a lot of people are used to seeing the end product. But until you actually get involved with something from the day you see a script, and then trying to negotiate deals with the talent, getting directors involved, seeing the notes, getting the financing put together on how a film works, getting it into film festivals, doing the marketing for it, going through all the post-production, and then seeing it up on the screen. you know, It is a massive undertaking that applies to, I think, all kinds of businesses. Because every individual film is really its own business from start to finish. The way it gets put together with a staff, the way it gets financed, the way the the revenues all get split with all the people involved with it. And so as an entrepreneur and as as somebody who's been on the business side, I mean, it was really just a fascinating study. At the end of the day, it's really slow. And and as a person who likes to be at that, that edge of what's next and what's coming and trying to visualize what the future can look like, you know, wasn't, I think, quite the long term career for me. But you know, for four or five years, it was really fascinating. I love that Marjorie's shaking her head because she knows the film industry <laughs> way better than I do. And I would think, and and Marjorie, I know you, you're so good because you know the tech side of the industry, like you guys both do. I would assume, like, like I'd say Pokemon. I think Pokemon was a movie. <laughs> I just feel like some of these, like the avatars, some of these movies, to me, with the CGI and the creative and storylines would just be such a great platform to turn more movies into games or is it the other oh angry birds i was thinking of not pokemon is it the easier to turn these really great games like pokemon or angry birds into film or is it easier to take these amazing films that everybody wants and turn those into the game inside i'm curious like between both of you like where's your take on all of that 
Well, I, right now we're seeing a lot more games becoming films because the IP from games is is pretty rich and has a pretty deep fan base. So, you know, look, we've seen Sonic become a film recently. Pokemon's become a film. Angry Birds has become a film. Resident Evil became a film. Warcraft has become a film. We've seen a lot of games kind of moving into the film direction. There's been a lot less success. Uncharted just did really well, I think, going from, from game to film. It's very difficult to go the other direction because oftentimes it's hard to get access to the materials for the film to make the game work right. It's also very difficult to have the timeline of making a game work well match up with the timeline of the film. So I'd say it's it's more rewarding, I think, to see games get made into films these days than the other way around, although that's how it has worked historically. Yeah, and I have to agree with that because it's you have, you know, everything that studios love, you have a built-in audience, you have IP that sold. So it's much easier almost for the studios to license that existing product than to flip it the other way because they like anything that has, you know, an audience. They're like, okay, the film will do well because it's like making a Mario movie. I mean, it's like they're, they're really doing everything now. Look at Avatar. That was never a game. That was the most phenomenal James Cameron movie. How can that not be a really, really cool game? Or is it just more of an IP issue, do you think? I think, look, I, I want to say that there's been some games that have been attempted to be made off of the Avatar IP. I don't know how successful they've been. They certainly haven't been at the scale of the Avatar film. When you think about about the magnitude of, of that that movie and that landscape, I don't think the technology of gaming. It's interesting seeing the technology curve go back and forth because there was a period of time where I think the technology of filmmaking was far more advanced than where games were in terms of the reality perspective. You know, when Avatar came out, I think it was far more technologically advanced than what we could see in in games. And now we're kind of in a place where I don't know if you've seen the new things coming out of Unreal the new Unreal Engine, but it is lifelike video. I mean, it is really disturbing in a certain level uh, how realistic it, it is. And, you know, that to me says that we're going to see a lot more things that are gaming that feel like they are beating where we are on the, on the film side of things. Well, that's because the gaming, I mean, first it was just gaming. Then it kind of evolved into esports, which is just more of a next level gaming with teens but the metaverse is i mean most people who are building the metaverse are gamers coming out of the gaming like submissions um unit nine because it's a multiplayer and the technology the avatars so no i have not seen the news coming out of real but i'm assuming what your cut your comment is because of the metaverse is just is just leveling up the entire gaming industry right now. Because look at the graphics. I know what's interesting. I want to. I want to kind of pivot to the metaverse because yeah. am I wrong? To, I mean, I'm pretty positive. I mean, it's, they're all gaming companies that know how to build the metaverse. If you're not a gaming company, you're struggling to figure out how to build it because you don't know how that multiplayer technology. Uh, I I have no word for it. Technology, um, <laughs> how that works to make that possible. Correct. I, I think gaming companies are definitely at the at the center point of where the metaverse is going. And and some of the big infrastructure companies, right, like the Microsofts of the world, because they know how to actually build these these massive technology platforms. But yeah, look, the metaverse as it comes online, and, and I do think that it's really going to be the multiverse more than it's going to be the, the metaverse for a long time, since I find it hard to believe that Apple and Google and Amazon are going to play nice with each other for years to come. 
So everybody's going to have their own little version of whatever we're going to call the metaverse at a certain level. But when you think about what our experience could and should be like in there, it's going to be very gaming-like. You're going to have a character, whether that's a first-person or a third-person aspect to it, and you're going to interact with things, and those will unlock various things that you can do, and you will have to enter commands or, or manipulate objects inside of that. So, you know, I think I think folks who have experience making games and creating gaming universes will have a significant edge on anybody else trying to build something in those environments. Yeah. And what I think is fascinating, I actually taught like a master's level class in esports because I have a sponsorship branding. And what I think would be interesting to our audience is like everybody thinks like, okay, esports is only funded by sponsorship, but there's actually this huge amount of revenue sources that you can get licensing, et cetera. Maybe you can talk to us some about, you know, for those people who are like, how does it take to build a esports team? How does it take to build this company? Maybe give a little background on that. Yeah, absolutely. So esports is probably the worst name in the world for what we do because it implies that we're a we're we're merely a sports team. Like the way that the the Yankees are a sports oh, team. Hold on, NB does not have an esports team, players team, players league, right? We compete in a number of different teams, right? Oh, okay. We have teams that play in Apex and Call of Duty and Overwatch and Rocket League and and a number of other games. So we we have a number of competitive sports teams that are competing at the highest levels of of esports, if you will. But that is not kind of the definition, I think, of what we are. That serves as the basis for how we built ourselves and how most of the other organizations, whether it's FaZe Clan or 100 Thieves or Liquid, have built their their companies, but it is not the all-defining thing of what we are, right? If you if you took away baseball from the New York Yankees, there wouldn't really be anything left to talk about. And that's not how it works for us. We talk about gamers. And I think when you're in a group of people who are over the age of let's call it 40, 45, we like to talk about people as gamers. When you're talking to people who are under the age of 30, saying gamers doesn't really make any sense because everybody's a gamer. That That's kind of like asking people if they listen to music or if they watch movies. So the question really should be, what games do you play or what games have you played lately when you're talking about people who are under the age of 30? Yes, sometimes if you ask somebody, hey, what movies have you seen? They're going to say, I don't really watch movies or I don't like movies. But that's really the the rare exception or the kind of difference maker under the age of 30, it's going to be pretty rare that you find somebody who hasn't played a game of some kind, whether that's a mobile game or, you know, a PC game or some other kind of people are playing games. That's just how life is kind of built around these days. They go to friends' houses, they play games, they're playing casual games or playing social games or playing competitive games. And so when you think about what we are as a company is we are an entertainment company that appeals to that entire generation. No different than a music company that appeals to everybody who listens to music. So we are making content. Some of that comes in the form of us having professional teams that are playing at these really high levels. And some of which comes from our creators who are streaming on Twitch or making content on YouTube to communicate with this audience in a way that that resonates with them. And, you know, there's different genres and there's different styles, you know, just like music has country and rap and you know, hip hop and and dance, and it's all different. And there's slightly different audiences in that gaming does not encompass everybody who's a gamer. There's different aspects to it. There's 
multiplayer games and there's shooter games and there's casual games and there's all sorts of different ways and styles of how people interact. Sometimes you're on a team and sometimes you're playing solo and sometimes it's, you know, strategy and role playing. And so, you know, when you think about what we are is, is we are delivering messaging and entertainment to a wide variety or as many people as we can reach that are in a certain demographic, which is a pretty large one at this point. Are you guys building into the meta space? We are. I mean, we're, you know, we recognize what we're good at and this is how we monetize. You know, the, the question you were asking before is, you know, we monetize the same in a very similar way that an entertainment company monetizes. We reach a large number of fans and a big audience base. We communicate with them and we work with advertisers and sponsors. We sell merchandise. We have direct to consumer businesses. We run live events, whether that's people coming to our professional events, watching our teams, or it's us running fan festivals or, you know, some kind of concert or some other kind of entertainment value or selling virtual skins inside of games, right? So there, there's lots of different ways that we monetize that audience base. So as we think about the metaverse, what we do well is, is we are looking for how do we enter other platforms where we can bring our audience there in a meaningful way. So the metaverse to us is when we're talking to other platforms, whether that's meta or sandbox or whatever might be coming down the pipe, the question we're saying is what can that platform do for our audience, right? When I've got millions of fans and I want to do something on that metaverse platform, maybe that metaverse is Fortnite. What can I do with my fans there? How can I engage them in a meaningful way? I can figure out the monetization part later. But if I can't figure out how to actually create an experience for them there where they can do something special and unique with me and my creators and our teams inside of that space, then it's not really the right place for us to play in. So you won't see us just getting people to buy NFTs or you won't see us you know, forcing things on our fans that doesn't have a natural pathway to creating a a community inside of that space. So we're excited about it. We're just constantly looking around and and talking to all these emerging companies trying to see where is where's the right home for our audience to to land. And what I find so fascinating about esports is, you know, often like in the US we think, oh, it's all about us, but really like Korea's killing it in esports and always it's like the mecca that everybody wants to go to. Can you talk a little bit about like what you do internationally to engage fans? Sure. I mean, we are very much a North American focused organization, and, and that's the result of a couple things. One is brands and, and sponsorships, right? For those who have spent a lot of time in the brand and sponsorship world, budgets are rarely global in nature. They're often broken down by regions and territories. So it is difficult to operate a global organization and be able to find budgets out of all the places that you need to to make your business work. So we're primarily North American focused. Also, from a merchandising perspective, for those who have dealt with shipping or trying to sell merchandise in a bunch of different territories, very hard to sell directly in a whole bunch of different countries and territories at the same time. But we're trying to figure that out. So our fan base is global. We look at our data and where people are coming from. And esports is global, as you said. The audience base of who's watching our events is, is global in nature. So we do work with global brands and advertisers at a certain level who want to reach everybody that we're getting to. We are constantly looking at what are the right territories for us to have more of a presence in, have a foothold, maybe do live events in those territories. But it's an economic consideration at the end of the day. The beauty of esports is that it is language-free and it is 
take away some of the toxicity that I know there have been a lot of conversations around in the space. The magic about it is that it does create a level playing field for everyone to participate. It, it was It's awesome seeing, especially when you get to the real international stages of competition. We just had a team playing in Iceland. Our Valorant team played in a major championship event, which was watched by over a million people live from around the world. We won the event, which was pretty amazing. But there were players from you know all across Europe and from Southeast Asia and from Brazil. We were playing in the finals against a big Brazilian team. And it's it's just awesome seeing that kind of rivalry. And, there, and it's hard to think of another sport outside of you know maybe soccer when you get into the World Cup level where there's really that level of country-by-country country excitement that gets generated. And talk about sponsors. I know you guys just announced Favor and Razor, but you guys just announced that you're announcing Oakley. You're doing a huge deal with Oakley, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what are you guys doing? Can you talk about what you're doing with the Oakley brand? Yeah, it's their first major organizational sponsorship of an esports org. We've been working with them for quite a while on this deal. They're going to be an overall company sponsor for us. We are going to work with them not only to introduce their brand more into the esports world, but over time, we'll be developing products together with them. We'll be developing events together with them. You know, they have recognized that A, this demographic is really important for them to continue to grow. We'll also be working with the other athletes and teams that they sponsor. So, you know, one of the things that a lot of these companies like Oakley are realizing is that they sponsor golf professionals, right? They sponsor basketball professionals. And what they're realizing is that those guys that they sponsor and girls, they're interested in gaming too. And so, you know, when they when they realize that the other people that they're they're sponsoring and working with are interested in in gaming as much as they are the sport that they're playing, they say, "Hey, how can we find ways for us to work together with those people and create kind of a one plus one equals three set of opportunities?" So, you know, it's really about kind of bringing those things together. You know, it's no different when you see those golf events where you've got other celebrities, like you've got NFL players playing golf and, and you've got musicians playing golf and you just bring people together. I think you're going to start seeing that in gaming. And hopefully we can do some of that with Oakley where we're bringing together people from all walks of life to just celebrate gaming culture and, and lifestyle and try to show the world that gaming is bigger than than what I think most people think it is. That's fantastic. One of the things that I know Sarah and I really love about your company and about most companies is you giving back to the community. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your foundation, how that came about and how you really engage like North Texas to really promote STEM and children learning. Sure. So one of the things that's, I don't want to say it's completely unique to Envy, but it is not something every organization focuses on is we really do have a a home base. We're based in Dallas. All of our teams play out of here. We have a headquarters here. We have a, a home market. We have our Call of Duty team is Optic Texas. Our Overwatch team is the Dallas Fuel. And it, it's kind of core to us to establish Texas, especially North Texas, as, as our home. The way that, you know, we, we actually, our office is right outside the American Airlines Center. And, you know, we've got the Mavericks here. We've got the Stars here. We've got the Cowboys here. And if you think about how you develop a fandom. There is no better way to develop fans than being born into being a fan of a particular team, right? When when you're born in Boston, you're a fan of... of... <laughs> <laughs> I was born in Boston. 
Boston and I'll, you know, those are your teams for life. Yeah, it's like it's like you're stuck. Like that's it. You're a Celtics fan and you're a Patriots fan and and there's nothing you're a Red Sox fan for sure and and that's it. And and there's there's no better user acquisition than that. So, you know, it's kind of twofold. It's one, you know, being here helps us develop a fan base that's local that will come to our live events that will engage with us that'll help us build sponsorships and you know work with the local community but then it also gives us a way to give back and work with high schools and help develop the esports scene here and work with you know those that are more that are underprivileged to bring esports to to them because there's so many stem aspects to esports and gaming that I think get overlooked because I think parents are so used to looking at gaming as as a waste of time, you know, go out and spend time outside. And, you know, I look at my son who's been, spends a lot of time in Minecraft. He's, he's 10 and his ability to manipulate three-dimensional objects and, you know, live in an online universe is so vastly ahead of where I ever could be in my entire life. And you think about the skills that are going to be needed for this generation when they become older in 10 or 15 years. And I have to think that you know, no offense to those that play more traditional sports, but I have to think that those kids who are spending a lot of time playing Roblox and Minecraft are going to have a leg up on on kids who are spending all their time playing baseball in 10 or 15 years when job market's looking for people who can build the metaverse, you know, so to speak. So the, the foundation that we've got is working with our brands, working with our partners, trying to help develop the STEM aspects of of esports and gaming here in the local community, right? And and also try to make sure that we have more equality in gaming, bring women into gaming, just really help find the positive aspects of what gaming can bring and bring those more to the forefront. Besides, I mean, I love that you went um, touched on more women in gaming because it used to be more predominantly men mm-hmm. on the gaming side, but it's now becoming equal and more predominantly women that are getting to the gaming side of this. And I know FPL just announced the Face It and Gucci, the Gucci Gaming Academy, which is all designed to empower our next generation esports talent from mental health to talent to leagues and stuff. I mean, I mean, I love it, but I think I'm probably more of the women more than <laughs> are in gaming, but the fact is a Gucci Gaming Academy, that's not about wearing the Gucci gear because Envy does have really cool t-shirts. It just says Envy on it. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that Gucci is stepping up when the first retails could take Bitcoin and crypto, the first into the meta space. I mean, they are like going way out. If I'm talking about a branding, they're now, I mean, the Gucci Gaming Academy is ridiculous and FPL is announcing it. I mean, their prizes are big. They're looking for new people. I mean, so many people are converging like the branding and the metaverse and the gaming all into one. So I am, I think, more impressed with what Gucci's doing into the esports, the metaverse by combining everything that attracts and entertains, creates content than most of them out there, which I think is tremendous. Are you guys kind of edging in? I mean, this is a really bad question to ask you, <laughs> but I mean, it, it is Gucci. And I know they're attracting a mass well of millions of people because they're leveraging the metaverse and FPL is all about back in as they just announced with face it are you guys kind of moving are you guys staying traditional esports you know the valor you know everything we see out there or are you guys kind of edging into the more of the edgier esporting arena like where gucci's out the gaming academies and the higher level branding we are definitely moving in that direction we're taking baby steps we've been around for a long time and 
we have we built a a great fan base. You know, there's a lot of loyalty there, and you know what we want to be most careful about is we we want to continue to build that fan base and find a new audience for what we do, but we also don't want to move so quickly in one particular direction that might be faddish or take us away from the core of what we are. So, you know, we're being measured about how we approach all these new areas. There's obviously a lot of money pouring into the space. There's a lot of new directions to go in. You know, there's more opportunity in gaming and esports than there's ever been before. And so, Sorry, Adam, I have a question before you finish the sentence. Because I I know you guys are in that direction. I want to kind of pivot your answer a little bit. (laughs) We look at Fortnite and League of Legends, League of Legends, right? Sure. And Overwatch, StarCraft, all of these. And I feel you're talking about, you know, diversity and bringing more women in and your foundation that Marjorie talked about. But I feel like some of these games, I mean, I'm not saying they're violent and gory. I mean, they're games. But I feel like they're so heavy, intense fighting geared towards men, which is funny that a lot of women are in it, you know, aggravation, you just want to take it out on a game, I get that blow something up. But are we talking diversity in game with more women going to the industry? Or are we still looking at very male, heavily dominated games like Fortnite, where it's just bloody, it's gory, you're blowing stuff up? Because that doesn't seem very feminine to me to attract females. And I'm not seeing a lot of games come out there. And I'm not like the Gucci Gaming Academy is not foo-foo for designers runway. I mean, they're still looking at, you know, RP on the gaming side. But if we're talking diversity and more women get into gaming, but we're still producing games and esports with the same premise of guns, blood, gore, and fighting. I mean, how are you able to diversify into more getting more females on board in the space if you're still catering to only men? Look, a surprising number of women are playing these games. If you look at the female streamers, that are playing online, which make up a surprising amount of, of the viewership on Twitch. They're playing these games. They're streaming these games. Now, not I don't think every game is as violent and as... Yes, there are some very male-heavy type games. I think, you know, Call of Duty and, and Warzone is a little more male-skewing. But League of Legends is, is surprisingly evenly split, male-female in terms of the viewership. Overwatch has a very, very high female base. And we're seeing more and more women playing these games. Valorant has recently launched a female league of teams that are made completely of women. You know, I have a very interesting, I don't know, maybe maybe a bit outside view of the space for female talent and players. I mean, I think the the benefit of esports is that it is a completely level playing field. And, and I'd love to, my opinion is like these teams shouldn't be men only. They're not defined as men only. It's not like, you know, we're playing in the NBA where it's a male exclusive league. I mean, this is, I'd love to see women, more women on some of these professional teams that right now are, seem to be only men, but there's no reason why we can't have women on those teams. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to these teams being more diverse naturally over time. And I think we're going to see that happen because we are seeing a lot more women playing these games. And look, I think as more women are playing games and we are seeing it, we are going to see more games coming down the pipe that are what I'll call more, you know, I don't know what the right word to describe it is. You're struggling but, you know. to say more foo-foo because I know that's not the right no, word. No, that's not, I you think know. Marge, but Marjorie, I think we understand you You want to tailor more towards, I don't know what a good word is either. You know, less, less, Marjorie, less we need a word. It's like, focused. I, I don't know. It's like Vanna White. We need a word, Marjorie. <laughs> I say just more broader audience because one of the interesting articles I remember reading during COVID is that 
how esports actually helped the mental health of kids because it was one place that people could still have a community. So when you talk about community, it's community, it's authentic. And then I know player health is also a big, big thing now because they're like, you know, 14 hour days playing. What are some of your thoughts or suggestions on how people who want to become esports athletes can, you know, prepare themselves mentally and physically? Yeah, look, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, there's right now, the biggest challenge is there's no, there's no clear path to becoming an esports professional. You know, as someone who was on the board of USA Volleyball and spent a lot of time in kind of the, you know, what I'll call the, the more traditional NCAA scholarship, and then ultimately you play professionally kind of structure that doesn't really exist in esports. And so we're starting to see more schools offer scholarships for esports, which is, which is great. We're starting to see a lot more organized high schools for esports and gaming. So I think that, you know, the biggest thing is, is if you're interested in it is, is start when you can find the, whether it's at your high school or it's, it's at some kind of local land center where you can start to get playing on an organized basis and start to understand what it's like to play in a more competitive environment where there's structure to it and, and see what that's all about. Travel, go to some events, play in some of those events. So there's a lot more local events that that happen on a regional travel basis that are a lot of fun. What we're seeing with Twitch and the streamers is it's it's a lot more positive than it used to be to be a professional gamer, right? It's, it's looked at a lot more favorably than it used to. So the mental health aspect of it, I think, is a lot more easier to... It's an easier path now than it used to be, right? It's kind of like saying... It's like you look at Dungeons and Dragons and you look at the the advent of Stranger Things and you look at how uncool it used to be when we were growing up to like tell anybody that you were playing Dungeons and Dragons and how ostracized you were. And now it's like, oh, that's cool. I mean, when can teach me how, when can we go do that? And so I think the ability to now really be serious about playing games as your extracurricular and then still have a friend group and finding ways to socialize and still participating in other things is much easier to do now without really being ostracized and being separated. So, you know, I think it's still up to the individual to, to make sure that they find other things to do that are healthy. But I, I see it the same way that I've seen a lot of people who are focused on other kinds of sports too, right? Whether it's football or swimming or basketball or baseball, you know, there's there's too much of anything. And you see the one the, the folks who are really gunning to get those scholarships or really gunning to go professional, really put everything into it at the downfall of friendships and and whatever else. And then if it doesn't work out, find themselves in a place where, you know, they don't necessarily know what to do with themselves. And that's, that's kind of unhealthy. So I, I think what's important, I mean, I'm sure with people with kids mm-hmm. is they say the athlete, the esport athlete, they're all athletes. And I feel like this may be deterrent for some of these brilliant kids. Well, I don't play football. I, you know, I, I'm not an athlete or I, not coordinated. It doesn't mean you can't be in esports. You can't be a phenomenal gamer athlete on the team. But I feel like sometimes from some of the feedback I've gone from friends with kids and gaming, they don't have to be an traditional athlete, like a NFL player, NBA. I mean, yes, none of those guys do have their own esports teams. We know the Digitas guys and all that. But yep. the term esports athlete, I feel is a little bit of a reach because I feel like it gives up the connotation. You have to be in physical sports athletics to be on an esports team. And that's not true. It's just the term of the duration, the energy, the drive to get through that game. 
Mm -hmm. you guys both have 10 year olds. So got to kind of jump <laughs> in here on this. But in my dream, am I wrong on that with Riker? Because you have a 10 year old who's really good at games. Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, it's like what I do like about some of the games, like he he does Minecraft also, and there's a Java edition that helps you code and learn how to code. And But I do still think that like when you talk anything at a professional level, I mean, you've got to train to be a professional for at least 10 years. So it's like the kids now that are like training to be gamers or really putting the time will be gamers but you know you also have to focus on the mental health the physical health like you can't have kids spending you know 12 hours <laughs> you know unless that's their you know job to do but, the, but, but why do you guys call it the esports i was going to kind of break this down for listeners why do you call it the esports athlete you don't have to be an actual athlete to be an, a gamer on a team well there's a certain look there's a certain skill set that goes along with it i mean Race car driving is is probably the most similar thing that I can compare it to because you know there's there's a certain physical stamina that you need to be a great race car driver and the reflex the only comparable what I'll call profession that has the same level of reflexes is race car driving to esports athletes and and so you know in terms of competing it's the same level of preparation there's coaching there's mental work that goes into it there's training there's reviewing tapes there's you know, there's a lot of aspects of being an athlete that is part of it, communication skills and dedication. So, you know, I think by definition of athlete, I don't think athlete necessarily has to imply physical, yeah, like real, like, you know, what I'll call like weightlifting stuff, being six foot eight or something, or being able to run a mile in, in five minutes. There, there's a lot of stuff that is being an athlete. Look at all the Olympic sports. Look at curling. I mean, curlers are athletes. I don't know that you'd necessarily imply that most of what's different there if you think about their day-to-day -day. Uh, i don't know that they're sitting in the weight room eight hours a day in order to be professional curlers not i have not that i have anything against being a, a curler i mean it's a very technical skill set but I, I think they're athletes as much as anybody else that competes at anything at the highest level is an athlete the advantage to esports is those who participate i think have a lot more career opportunities in front of them than those who participate in what I'll call more traditional sports growing up. So, you know, if you're the things you learn about technology, about networking, like literally internet networking, about building a computer, about, you know, graphic design, about, you know, 3D modeling, those are all really helpful skills. And, you know, as much as I love baseball, there's some stuff you're learning about physics and there's some stuff you're learning about physical health. But, you know, I don't know what other pathways you've got in front of you, right, that make themselves apparent through playing baseball as much as they do from spending five years necessarily like playing esports. Well, yes, like you said, you know, the metaverse, the Web 3.0, that, I mean, there's so much more skill set strategy into the esports and gaming side than traditional sports. So there is a future for some of these kids who are so smart that are breaking it down. I mean, they're going to be the guys that are building the next meta, the next Microsoft. I mean, these, they get it. They know the computers, they know the systems, they know how to build and strategize. That's what they're growing up on games. So I do agree <laughs> with what you guys said. People say, oh, why don't you play in games, go outside and get fresh air. But they're coding in on a skill set most people don't have. And some of these kids are so smart. I mean, they could do things on gamings and, 
Like I get my nephews to fix my phone when I'm home half the time. <laughs> it just blows my mind how smart today these kids are that they're moving through on gaming and figuring it out, becoming sure. top engineers or you know top graphic people or coders. And I think that is back to the female side. I love women coders. I love it's such a great opportunity for women to get into gaming and get into esports because they have such a skill set that we need in general. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. It was so good having you on the show talk about gaming, Adam. For people who are gamers, esports, want to be on a league, anything, Envy's a great company based out of Dallas. What is your favorite game that you play? It's going to sound old. I still play a lot of Warcraft. I'm an old guy. So I thought you were going to say Pac Man or like Mario <laughs> Brothers or something. Still play <laughs> a lot of Warcraft. That counts. It's a game. My reflexes aren't quite there anymore to play any of these these shooter type games. I play Fortnite with my kid. I play Fortnite with him, and that's been a lot of fun. That's so funny. So Envy, tell us what do we have to look forward to coming out of Envy the rest of this year? Gosh, we got a lot of live events coming. You know, we took over the operating rights to the esports stadium in Arlington, so now we have our own home arena that our teams get to play out of. So we've got a lot more events that are coming out of there that we're going to be broadcasting from and bringing our fans to. That's going to be pretty exciting. We've got a a pretty cool program coming to interact with our fans online that's going to be launching later on this summer that we're really excited about. I think there's you're going to see a bunch more creators coming. We're going to be bringing on more creators. We're going to be bringing on teams, just more growth. That's awesome. Congratulations. I've seen you guys in the news a lot lately. So it's super exciting to see Envy grow and innovate out there. For Thank anybody you. who needs to wants to reach out to you, what's the best place to find you? Best place is, uh, is Adam at Envy.gg. Do you have a call sign if the case are on Fortnite or on a game they could play against you? <laughs> nothing, nothing that's easy to, to get out there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, JPR, he always tells me when every time we have gamer, ask what their gamer call sign is. <laughs> it's so funny. Wait, Max, do you have a gamer call sign? It's it's Rikers is Wire King 11. Ah, <laughs> nice. Oh my God, Adam, it was so good to have you on. We do wish you the best of luck with everything. Love you have the foundation. Love where you guys are going. Adam Reimer, CEO of Envy, based out of Dallas. It is envy.gg, correct? Yep, that's right. To find you. It was so great having you. So good having you on again, Marjorie. This is Sarah Miller with Media Maven's podcast, and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Maven's podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Maven's podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.